Good morning. It's me again. That little voice in your ear. Walking to the sound of crickets. And uh, a lovely day it is. The clouds have lifted. In terms of fog, I'm not walking through the fog, but it is cloudy. And I have to say, walking in the night in the fog was pretty scary. And I was getting very jumpy because of the spectral effects. I was constantly seeing things in the soup. And I was quite nervous, actually. And last night I had a dream, a recurring dream about this car this car that pulls up on me and tries to corner me. And actually it happened once that a car came up to me and then stopped in the middle of the street then turned around and drove off. But I guess they just took the wrong turn. But it was very weird. And then the guy got out and he wanted to fight with me. And the whole thing was pretty scary in my dream. So, and the guy was much bigger than me too. And I'm a big guy, I'm 6'2". So, I guess there are things to be scared of out here. People. But there's also something else to be scared of, which is just sitting at home getting fat. So get up, guys, and girls, and peoples, and things. Get up off your feet. Get up off your butt. Put your shoes on and go for a walk. You can listen to the podcast and walk with me. It's not going to hurt you to go for a walk. Your knees might hurt you a little bit. Do what you can. Walk around the block. Go look at some of the houses near you. I like to uh, combine my walks with useful things like shopping. And when I lived in Germany, it was great. I didn't have a car. I could walk to the store. I could take the train if I had to. But I could walk to work. And everything was hunky-dory. Living in a city. I got some fresh coffee. We're ready to get this podcast booted up. We're just having a little prologue. A little status report. I got my boots on. Ready to kick some butt.
So what do we want to talk about today? Where do we leave off yesterday? Well, um, let's think about it. Let's think about it. Well, I had a big day at work yesterday. We did some major platform upgrading, and those got released. So that was good. This is some funny stories that I'm thinking about <clears throat> that I can't tell you. <clears throat> That's privileged information. I'm sorry. Part of my life, part of my experiences, part of my mind now belongs to the company because I can't tell you about what happened there. Isn't that funny? I'd, but it's also a sign of respect. Respecting the privacy of others. <clears throat> and that makes for good neighbors. Causes less conflict. Makes people feel comfortable. In their safe spaces. We all want to feel comfortable in our safe spaces. I wanted to invite uh, some other people on the podcast to talk about safe spaces, and I think we should, it's time for some uh, a new group chat, a new group episode. So anyone who's listening, who wants to join on this stream, let me know. I got a late start today. It's almost 5:30. I slept in. Can you believe that? And um, in terms of weight loss, I actually had a handful of nuts yesterday, a couple of drinks, and I had a bowl of food, some vegetables with some cheese on top, my wife made from garden vegetables, and it was good, good, good. I couldn't get enough of it. I had one bowl. So <clears throat> I guess we're back to intermittent fasting. 
and the weight loss has not gone down, but uh, I didn't go, didn't go up either, so. We got to uh, try a little harder to get into the ketosis. Coco said 20 hours of no carbs. Looks like someone's off to the hospital. Damn. Okay, so where did we leave off? Well, I guess we were lost in our imagination, flying around, imagining things, feeling like Superman. And um, that's uh, what kids love in games, is to feel powerful. Because in life, they feel very unpowerful. They feel very restricted in their choices what they can do, but on the computer, they can do almost anything. And it makes them powerful. And they can become a super powerful being. And they can assume the cloaks of Thor in the game and run around with a hammer flying around smashing people. And that's what the new Fortnite is like. And my son is totally enjoying it. And uh, we also picked up some Avengers and Thor comics from the 80s in an old store. And I wish, I wish we had kept those comics from my great uncles. Because we had a ton of them from back then, from originals from the 40s. Had Swamp Thing and Sergeant Rock and all types of crazy, scary comics. Well, we're practicing reading on those comics. And it's going pretty good. So I'm trying to tap into that interest for Thor and Avengers and superheroes. But it's so much easier on the computer and so much harder to write things out with pens and papers. And people used to actually print books. They used to scribe books. Like people literally wrote entire books. They're called monks or scholasts. They copied the Bible. <clears throat> In 
these handwritten Bibles are so valuable. And I also filled up books with notes. And I really should um, go back and look at them and try and understand them from a historic perspective. But I'm going to keep them because maybe someday they might be worth something. And some poor student will be feeding them into the computer for scanning. Isn't that great? The idea of having found something amazing. We haven't found anything amazing. and But we did get nine listeners to the episode before, the day before. Yesterday, only three. But quite a few people listened to the one before, so that's a, uh, a good sign. I thought also it was a good episode. Well, I guess this is the advertising section. Well, the beginning is kind of like the advertising section. It's like the introduction or the footer, a header. We're kind of just going over what's going on around me, my local context, and before we go into the higher levels. But I think this feeling of powerful, powerless versus powerful is important. And um, my wife and I were discussing how we wanted to make a game for learning. And we decided that our first step is we're going to actually learn how to use Blender. Because Blender is the 3D tool that lets you create a game. And it lets you um, script things. The problem with Blender is it's just so so hard to learn. I mean, it is a major, major learning curve. So we're watching some time-lapse videos that we have to analyze deeper on how people made things in Blender, which is pretty cool. And also, I'm looking at these books. I was watching this story about the history of books, and they're talking about how the ideas were lost on computers, the edit history. So I'm thinking... I mean, sure, you've got Git, Git versions for source code. And if you were to commit your code often, you would get a, a version history. But what if we were to just store the entire edit history? I mean, I think Word can do that. Office can do that. I wonder if Emacs can store the edit history. I'm sure it can. 
I guess you could just record a macro and then just write your book as a macro. It's like, this is performance art. This is a macro of me writing a book. It contains all the keystrokes that I did. When you run this program, it will produce a book. That's kind of weird. That's kind of like a vector art. So a vector, a vector art is a movement. It's like a measurement. It's an abstraction. It's like go from this point to this point. Start here and have an impulse in this direction with this strength. Now, in the vector art, we don't record everything about your feelings and the weather and what boots you were wearing when you made that vector. We're only measuring one thing. And um, these strokes of the pen that an artist makes, the decisions that they make, the tools that they use when they make art. I mean, what would you give for a time-lapse video of Picasso painting his paints and him explaining it? So, Now, if we take a mathematical formula and we do the transformations over time, but we keep each step in a row and show how one step goes to the next step and what rules we applied and why, and then you could expand on those rules keep on expanding, expanding, and go back and follow everything back to the source. That would be cool. Because you could do that in an interactive way. So what I'm thinking now is a plug-in for Blender. stone, a rune stone, and this rune stone can come into any game, it 
and there'll be different powers, there'll be different levels to it. And um, you start with a simple level. I guess really what we want to do is be able to type code in Blender somehow and send that through a plugin so it will produce an effect in Blender. And that could be it. We have Blender, we have all the tools for navigating and everything. You're the creative world. And then we just need to make some portals. you can drop in these rune stones and the rune stones will have different magic words on them like one would import some text or pull up some link resolve some URL right and then put the result of that in a spot that you describe like a block and then do some type of transformation to map it onto that object simplest one we do would be to just render some text on a on a block And that's where we're going to get these rune stones to start with. And I guess the first one will create other stones. So we're going to render other rune stones with like fancy letters and stuff on them. So you drop it down and then somehow you carve a letter into it, or a sign, or a symbol, and that symbol then gets interpreted. <clears throat> and will produce some effect. And then you can combine those together, or chain them together. <clears throat> and so the kids can learn letters, and sight words like the, it, cat, and by creating those letters, by carving on them, now, how do we recognize the carvings, there we could use some character recognition software, So the kids can draw the handwriting letter. They have a tablet. They can draw it on the tablet. 
handwriting recognition. We could do this in Blender as a user interface. So what do you need to run my program? You just need to fire Blender, get this plugin, and you're good to go. Now that would make for an easy distribution. Then we can imagine that these functional blocks, these stones, could produce, for example, they could import a Minecraft level or figure into Blender, and we can make our own scenes. Now, this is where we're going to get into some real fun. Can we create a portal between the Blender game and the Minecraft game itself? Where we can introduce a camera block that you could put in your game and that would record the, the scene. It would be a Minecraft video camera object. And you put that in the game and it would start recording the scene from that perspective, but it would record it in Blender as a Blender tape that you could then edit. For staging and creating your own Minecraft movies. And then you could edit the tape, you could add captions, and make like a puppet show. So we would create a linked stone, a hyper portal, a hyper stone that would link the stone from one program to another, and like a bridge. <clears throat> and when we run the camera over there, it will produce effects over here. And, um, we could con continue with that idea by embedding that into a running program, the camera, and recording bits and pieces, and then sending that off to Blender. And we could continue with other programs and create these connection stones, which is kind of the idea of the introspector anyway. I have this all on paper somewhere, on tape somewhere. We've been over this for 20 years. This idea has lived for a long time, waiting for an implementation. Now the kernel is what connects all programs. It is the subconscious of the computer. It is what gives you the superpowers. 
But what if two different programs are trying to update the same thing at the same time? That's why you need two. Stop them. Because you can also be running on multiple processors. <coughs> with a shared memory. So... And this could come down to perf, the Linux perf system, which can be fed language elements to inspect anything. And you can run that on a fleet of computers. And um, imagine you could just say, hey, all these servers over there, run this perf script, collect the data, and then graph it. And um, produce this notebook. So we want some kind of Jupyter Notebook plugin. And all of this can be done in Python, I think. And we can plug in some go from Python to other languages. But Python's a good glue. Well, Minecraft is in Java. Pascal, uh, Haskell can compile to Java with Frege and JSON can compile Python to, to Java, and so can Graal. Well, that's for your Minecraft, but as for the Blender, it's a different interface. So we're going to need interfaces to different systems. <clears throat> Some kind of module that can be loaded in, plug-in, introspector plug-in. And I'm going to want one for Emacs. And it's going to be a live link to some data transportation infrastructure. Can you say 0MQ? Boy, that guy, he died. He was not a happy guy. I think he killed himself from his cancer therapy. It was very tragic, Mr. Zero MQ.
you have to look them up. Coffee's getting cold. So yeah. So we got the simple connector, the rune stone, the portal, the stargate, the crystal scry. A simple idea staring into nothing and seeing your subconscious. Which, if that is the operating system, that is what the superpowers are made out of. Or superheroes, at least. The imagination. That's what we're getting at here. Now Stephen King said he would go through these portals. And I'm repeating myself a little bit. He would go through these portals into different worlds. And that's where he would read, he would get his inspiration for books. He wrote some pretty scary stuff. Well, we're interested in more lighthearted affair here. kind of thinking of Lord of the Rings. Lots of fantasy, lots of imagination, lots of emotions, lots of aesthetics.
and there definitely is a sensory perception of the imagination. Or maybe it's just a shadow. Good morning. The um, the mind doesn't distinguish between, I guess, sensory and a memory. I guess it does somehow. But in the end, it's all just bits in the matrix. Firing of the neurons. Or something. Or is it something else? We don't know. I guess if we study... See, this is where we go from the 18th century into the 21st century, and we do know. We have neuroscientists, and they can measure it. I guess we have to look at what they're going to tell us. The brain firing here, the brain firing over there, this lighting up, that lighting up. But they're not measuring everything. But they're starting to get an idea. <sighs> Got a light bulb on top of my head, burning bright. idea. Oh, I've got an idea. <clears throat> All right. So I think we have covered at least some idea of the connection stone and how we can connect everything, literally everything through the introspector. It being the central nervous system the glue, the portal, the shipping company, the transportation system, and in the end, all of these things that we do, all these connections, then you're going to say, well, where's your dashboard for the introspector? How can you see all these connections? What's connected to what? Very good point. We're collecting all this data now, theoretically. How can we visualize that data and understand it? What tools do we have? And I'm thinking we need some Excel sheets. We need some graphs, charts, diagrams, plots, and all of that really fits into Jupyter Notebook. <clears throat> so let's just say we need, I mean, 
Okay, maybe we do need Excel sheets. And maybe we can create a plugin for spreadsheets. Something that can also go into Cloud Sheets, Google Cloud. Or your Word document, where you can insert a character. And just imagine that these rune stones, these introspector rune stones, could be actually Unicode characters. There might be one that's unused. <clears throat> like a special character we could mark and tag. Maybe we could just take over a section of Unicode for some language or some reserved section and start writing our own set of runes, our own set of special words. That would be powerful. We could draw up some nice characters and you would just put those characters <clears throat> in your document. And then the operating system could recognize their location. And then through some magic, you could update them or do input-output, or they could interact with their environment. So kind of like a smart character in a document, a byte, a smart byte. <clears throat> well, it's a wide. And I suppose we could have a smart character in 8 bits. You could declare that in this program, this one character has a special meaning. Or you could just redeclare the ABCs. Or you could make a special word out of characters. That you would have to build. Like you have to put in the word Beetlejuice or something. And then we would just look for that. We could generate some 64-bit key, something unique. And you'd put that in memory. We'd just scan for it. So these are some different ideas. We have some way of encoding special terms inside of a document at certain spots. And then using those as endpoints to connect to as locations. And they'll show up as points, introspector points. Somehow you encode that point in your system and then somehow you scan for it, and then somehow you get the context of it, and then you can call a function that will interpret that context and do something, and then change the context and produce something new or delete something or produce a change, depending on 
what you've got. I see the Marines are training. The armies are training. This guy's got this huge backpack. They got like the ROTC here. They got some skinny kid carrying this humongous backpack. So we have these points that are somehow embedded into all these applications. So somewhere there's a sequence of bytes in memory that we can scan for and recognize. So in the kernel level, we can just read the memory and scan through all the memory. about what to do and I guess that could be encoded into that word so we just now of course you could do this in the application level if we can create some kind of trigger instead of we don't have to modify I'm saying we don't have to modify the application we can just embed it Here's a file. And you just read through all the bytes in the file and scan it. And then maybe those bytes in the file contain a program, either a reference to a program or a program itself and instructions on how to, what operations to do, and then you can execute those operations. Sounds like an incredibly dangerous operation. Something kernel level is crazy. Modifying the memory of a program from the kernel space. Well, the kernel is what executes the other programs, and it can interrupt them. So it's in the position to also modify their memory. Now, normally it won't. 
Well, first of all, because it doesn't know anything about the program. But what if we tell it? What if we tell the kernel about the program and what we're trying to do? We could also do this in user space, but in the end, you're going to take some memory block, you're going to read it, you're going to do an operation on it, you're going to replace that memory block. Okay? It's that simple. Because it's all just peaks and pokes. You have an address, you have an addressable space, which is 64 bits and you read those 64 bits and then you can write them back theoretically and that writing back would either crash the computer corrupt your entire system or create a positive change and that's your mutation Now this is where we get into hooks. So instead of scanning through the entire program and all the memory all the time, you can insert hooks into an existing system and then augment its behavior by, at a certain instruction point, adding in another instruction. And this also involves maybe shifting or breaking <coughs> the code at certain points. And if you shift the code, then all the relative addresses have to be recalculated. This is all about hacking. Hacking the system. imagine the power of that to be able to modify a running program put on the magic ring see this is what I'm talking about in terms of feeling powerless versus powerful And the interesting thing about The Hobbit is that Bilbo can't kill the Gollum. Even when he's, like, invisible, he doesn't want to kill him. And he feels some sympathy for him. And, um... I think he identifies with the Gollum. And I think the Gollum is supposed to be representative of our bad side the nasty one who has too much power the kid who plays too many games right if you wear the, this ring all the time 
that you turn into this monster. And we've seen it. Little cousin. Guess I could have been that kid too. So I think the Hobbit is a good, a good metaphor, and it's interesting insight. I think it's good that these kids are doing this uh, army training, getting up early in the morning like me, and going for runs, carrying backpacks. Think about that guy who crossed the Canadian wilderness and carried the whole, his whole thing on his back, in his canoe. Looks like Rona 21's coming soon. <sighs> Gotta make some websites. So we talked about how to do this on the kernel level. And in the end, we're just doing lambda functions on bytes. That's all it is. It's a lambda function that takes us, takes some bytes and produces some other bytes. It either leaves them alone no, no change, no write, or it produces some change, and that's it. It's either executed all the time, scanning the whole memory, or you find certain points to hook it into existing programs. code that is executed should be written in a compatible language, but in the end, if we're going to change this memory or size or shift things, you're going to have to recompile and recalculate a whole ton of addresses. that could create whole ripple effects. 
I might have to move lots of objects. And calculating those could get complicated. So we really don't want to do that. So the special operator is like cause a recompile. And how can we reduce the cost of that recompile? And do we have to embed the entire compiler or part of the compiler in the kernel for that to happen? And how do we patch a running program? And these are some interesting ideas. We could talk about them. But let's just go back to simpler things. Because we can embed these things in the code. And the changes like well, if you wanna be able to if you wanna be able to um If you want to be able to introduce any type at runtime, you're going to have to do that. So that's like full power mode, dangerous mode. If you know kind of what the type might be, and this is where we get into object linking and embedding, what Microsoft did, or like GNOME object interface. I don't know how Linux handles this stuff right now. I got interfaces, you got some kind of introspection li libraries. repositories or something so you've got different ways to embed unknowns or somewhat known objects in your program you got different language bindings for that too so that could be used some kind of there we want to have some kind of um, in information about your context. 
so not only how do you view an object from another system, but how do you view your system from the other system? Like, what is the context of the document that you've embedded this magic word into? What are the, um, This is where we get into the whole point of this whole thing. I'm going to bring it all back to the light and consciousness because all of this what we're doing here will allow us to inspect personally and have sense experiences and have our mind look at these systems from the inside to introspect them, to inspect them from the inside. So by embedding these different tokens, these different magic terms, we're just injecting markers into the system that we can then look for as points to, to grasp. <clears throat> right? You're feeding it a known item. And this is just another way of saying, you know, if you have a system that compiles itself, then everything that you feed it is a known item, you see? And certain points will resonate more than others with the code passing through. Some objects will match the data the code executing will match the data that is being passed one-to-one -one. so it actually this point in the data this point in time matches this point in the code where they actually correspond like there's a resonance they describe each other it's a point of reflection And some points of the data are more reflective than others. Some points of the code are more reflective than others. So we can imagine a, um, a time graph and a index or a, a color value of reflectivity.
Okay. All right. So um so we've got that all. We define these different terms. We've given them some magic powder to to increase our imagination, to make them special. And we kind of got the uh, plan for our building blocks for a game. And, um... And then we can also embed these different magic tokens, these keywords, in the um, model files in Blender so that we can do transformations on them. These pointers. humongous numbers. And I suppose it could all be packed down into some number. <clears throat> Colors. Shapes. Like we could use some these. You could just find different encodings and just encode the system into an existing model element. Maybe something transparent and small. And I'm sure they've got tons of options. So when you first boot this thing up and you start looking inside someone else's program, right? It's really like an inspector coming in from the outside. But the introspector idea is that we can reflect over the code and the system and gain knowledge about it. help interpret what we see, like a debugger, fire up the debugger, but a really good debugger, with all types of information. So, if we're going to get there, we're going to figure out some cool interface. And, um, 
I guess we can create dialogues in Blender. Property dialogues. Add custom attributes. We're going to see what's available to us. It's all just Python. And with Python, you can just inject more code in. It's not a problem. I guess you could compile Blender stuff into Java and inject it into injected into uh, Minecraft as a Java module using Growl. Well, we'll see. Some crazy ideas here, kids. Lots of imagination on this show today. Lots of imagination. And it's imagination imagination that gives us creativity and um, makes us human it's the art so maybe we're are, we are coming up with some nice ideas to think about on this show on this episode I'm, I'm gonna call it the Hobbit uh, let's pray to the gods of podcasting that this recording worked. Dear gods of podcasting, let our recording not fail. Let our buffers not overflow. Let our microphone not buzz. Let our upload not fail. Let our data connection be stable. Dear gods of podcasting, let no water get into my phone, nor my mic. Don't let me lose track of what I was saying. Or go off on a tangent. That is the podcaster's prayer. I'll have to cut that out (laughs) and share it with people. I hope it works. Okay, let's let this go, and uh, let's see what happens. It says it's recording, one hour, 11 minutes.